Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 72 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. My name is Brent Dax. It is great to be back here with you. Yeah, it's been a few months in between episode 71 and episode 72, but we're glad to be back with you here. And however you're listening today, we greatly appreciate that. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all the places that you can find the Syracuse Sports Podcast. But the best thing to do is hit that subscribe button so when a new episode of the Syracuse Sports Podcast goes up, there it'll be ready for you on demand. Two great guests to chat with today on episode 72. Our first guest is Syracuse Crunch owner Howard Dolgan. 26 Syracuse Crunch alumni contributed to the Tampa Bay Lightning winning the Stanley Cup this week. We talked to Howard about all those players, coaches, executives, and scouts that came through Syracuse on the way to hoisting Lord Stanley's Cup. And of course, people are wondering when the Syracuse Crunch will get back on the ice through a pandemic. Howard will give us the latest info on that. We'll also chat with former Syracuse Orange football star Julian Wiggum. What a turnaround win it was for Syracuse football over Georgia Tech. They really needed it, even here in just the third week of the college football season. But can they keep it up going forward after their bye week? We'll break it down with Julian coming up. One thing I wanted to hit off the tee here before we hear from our guests coming up was something missing from the Carrier Dome. Now, Carrier Dome 2.0, if you will, with its $118 million renovation, opened up earlier this week. And the new scoreboard was eye-popping. The new roof will take some getting used to, although it kind of looks like the old roof. Minus that big roller coaster structure on top of it, right? There's a lot of new amenities, new field turf. The bathrooms are being renovated. Hallelujah. Air conditioning in a facility named after an air conditioning company. That's all well and good, and it's going to provide a much better fan experience, you know, when the fans can come back. But one thing that was definitely missing, and it's a mistake that I hope Syracuse corrects soon, is that a new Ring of Honor was put up. Among the names on the Ring of Honor, Jim Beheim, Floyd Little, Ernie Davis, Jim Brown, and Dwayne Pearl Washington. All names that deserve to be on any Ring of Honor at Syracuse Athletics. But once again, Syracuse University and Syracuse Athletics has failed to recognize its rich history of female athletes and people that were game changers not only at Syracuse, but in life. Not that those five gentlemen don't deserve recognition, but they've all gotten plenty of it. It's baffling to me that Syracuse didn't find time, if they were painting names on a wall, to not find time to add a woman's name to that list. How about Catherine Switzer, who was one of the most groundbreaking female athletes of all time, famously having to basically disguise herself as a man to run the Boston Marathon in 1967. Catherine Switzer wanted to participate in women's sports when she came to Syracuse in the late 1960s, but the sport she wanted to participate in didn't exist. It certainly took Title IX and some other groundbreaking names like Dora Saladay, who opened up so many doors for female student-athletes at Syracuse in the 1970s. How about Felicia Leggett-Jack, a Syracuse native, Syracuse's first basketball All-American, and somebody who's gone on to be an important figure in women's basketball currently the head coach at the University of Buffalo. Surely there's one name that's made a mark on women's sports in Syracuse University history that should have been top of mind and should have been on that list. But one thing Syracuse has also failed to do is recognize female athletes with retired jerseys. There's currently 15 men's basketball players honored with a retired jersey. There's currently six football players and the number 44, of course, honored in the Carrier Dome as well. 
But why no female athletes? Why hasn't Leggett Jack or Switzer or Nicole Michael, Kayla Alexander, Alexis Peterson, Brittany Sykes, Katie Rowan, Alyssa Murray, Kayla Trainer, been honored? Just to name a few. It was a glaring omission from the Carrier Dome before it got renovated, and there'll be a gaping hole in the new dome until it's fixed. So here's hoping that Syracuse University Chancellor Ken Severud, Syracuse University Athletic Director John Wildhack, and anybody else that I need to name here, correct this mistake soon. I'll even go buy the paint for you to put a name on that wall before Syracuse's next game against Duke on October 10th. You're way overdue, Syracuse. It's time to honor the women that made as much of a difference in your athletic history as the men. Right now, let's hear from our guests, starting with Syracuse Crunch owner Howard Dolgan, followed by Julian Wiggum talking Syracuse football. Well, we are talking with a very happy man right now, Howard Dolgan, the owner of the Syracuse Crunch, that included 26 alumni in helping the Tampa Bay Lightning win the Stanley Cup. Howard, it's great to have you back here on the Syracuse Sports Podcast, and congratulations. What a big role your team played in Tampa Bay winning the Cup. you got to be flying high today. Well, it's, it's unbelievable, and it's ironic that number 26, I'm hearing it now from you, we just completed our 26th season, so how appropriate is that number? That's great. So it's, it's, it's an unbelievable feeling, and you can't describe it until you go through it. And just, it's surreal. It's surreal watching it and then, you know, going through the two months of, of watching and, and talking to Julian and Stacy and Matthew Darch, and it's, it's incredible. It's just incredible. Howard, you've talked so much through the years about your relationship with Tampa Bay and how great it's been since you guys aligned in, in 2012. And you just mentioned a few of those names there. And when we say 26 alumni, that's everybody. That's players. That's coaches. That's people in the front office, scouts, former players that have found a role in, in the front office. To see a, a top-to-bottom effort like that, it really demonstrates what it takes uh, to win a Stanley Cup from the top down. It, it really is from the top down. And when you start at the top, you have to start with Jeff Vinnick, the owner of that team, who never panicked, uh, made Tampa a destination for players to want to come to play. And that was, was never the case until he took over 10 years ago as an owner. And uh, I, I sent Jeff a note I did after every series. And last night I said to him, in sports deserves more than you for what you did for the, not only for that franchise, but for that city. And it's become a hockey hotbed. So players want to go there, free agents want to go there, people want to work there, uh, coaches want to coach there. And, you know, they went through a, a nightmare last season, no panic at all. They knew they had uh, what it took behind the bench. They knew they had most of the elements in the players. And then, you know, like I love Julian is one of my, my – great friends now, but what he did as a GM in, in filling in the gaps was, was Bill Torrey-like. And, and that's a legendary Hall of Fame, former Islander and general manager who was known for making the little tweak here and there to get his team just a little better to win in the playoffs. And that's exactly what Julian did. So if you could mention, you know, you're, you're in the same sentence as, a legend like Bill Torrey, you know, it's, it's something. And, but Julian was patient. He was calculating. He lived and worked in the era of the salary cap. He was up against the cap 
uh, all year and yet managed to make moves that helped them win the cup. There's no question that he deserves all of the accolades he gets. You mentioned what this team had to overcome in, in the past few years. You know, in 2015, they get to the cup final and lose. And there's just something about getting there and knowing what it takes to get there. The losses in the Eastern Conference Finals last year, the devastating blow and the loss to Columbus. But something that John Cooper did really struck me, he wore a, a Virginia hat. And it was to kind of send a message you know, that number one seed loses, and then the next year they win the national championship. And, and that's something that really stuck a core with John. And he was even telling a story about, so after they win the cup, Nikita Kucherov, who he said, you know, didn't know squat about college basketball, but he's like, hey, where's that hat? And yeah. it just goes to show you, you know, the message that was sent there. You can have all the talent in the world and everything to build up to it, but you got to taste adversity a little bit to, to win the ultimate prize. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, uh, you know, I once had a boxing writer, a very well-known boxing writer, say to me, the harder thing to do is to win a championship. But once you do, it's the harder thing to give up because you've proven that you can go rounds. You could gut it out. And that's why, you know, it's very hard in boxing to dethrone a champion. You know, they know what it took. And now the Lightning knows what it took, the grind. And I think there are a lot of announcers that said – this Stanley Cup victory will, will have an asterisk because of the bubble, but it was that much more difficult playing without your family home games. I mean, the Lightning were 10-1 as, quote-unquote, the road team. Now, the road team meant the last change. Well, hockey, that does mean something, having that last change matchup. To go 10-1, never losing back-to-back -back games, and then, you know, one thing that wasn't said a lot was Andrea Vasilevsky, he, he pitched a shutout in the finals. And the way they won, to me, was the most impressive because that team was not built to shut down other teams. They were built to win games five to three, six to four. But they totally shut down Dallas, really, right up to the end. And they did it because they added players like Coleman and Goudreau and, and uh, Bogosian, but also because other players bought in. The ones from last year who said, we want to win playoff hockey, win those 2-1 games. And most of the victories were like that with the odd blowouts, but most of those wins were like that during the playoffs. Howard, when this all went down, when COVID-19 hit and everything was shutting down, I think it's, I think the mark 200 days for this from start to finish to think that they would go in that bubble and pull this off and have the, the uh, in this case, the Tampa Bay lightning, but any team actually hoist the Stanley cup, that was unthinkable even a few months ago, but then they go into the bubble and week after week, we heard no positive tests and, and they're doing thousands of tests on these players. How did they do this? How did they pull off the bubble? Well, I think it says a lot, first and foremost, about the NHL. You've got to give them the highest of marks for the atmosphere. You know, when I was speaking to Stacey Roos when he was in Toronto, he said it was a premier hotel. Everything was first rate. When I went to Edmonton, the hotel wasn't at the level of Toronto. But everything, you didn't have to go outdoors. You went from the hotel indoors to the arena, to the practice facilities. So they made everything as convenient as possible for them. But you need a buy-in from the players. 
And that starts from the top with ownership, with Jeff Vinnick, with Julian Brisbois, with John Cooper, and with a close-knit group of players that felt that they had the ability to win the cup. And the sacrifice of families and kids and parents, that's a, that's a huge, you're, you're living in a hotel room, eating, playing hockey, practicing, playing hockey, eating. You're not seeing people you love other than the FaceTime or the Zoom call. So it's a major sacrifice. And it takes special players and a special organization to do it. And listen, Dallas Stars, great performance. Uh, personally, I didn't think they were going to be the Western champions. I thought it was going to be Vegas. But they proved that, you know, they proved a lot of people wrong, even when they beat Colorado. Nobody had them winning that, that series. So they were a, a great opponent. And I just am so happy because, you know, those are our people that came through here from, from Julian to Coop to the players and the Halpern and, you know, you know, and even, even when they left us, they came back, you know, and they were always part of the crunch and they always made us feel part of the Tampa Bay Lightning organization. And that's, that's why it's so special. Howard, on another note, uh, it's end of September, about to flip to October here. You would normally really be ramping up for the start of your season right now. That's yeah. a little delayed at this point. December 4th is a date that's set right now. I know that's kind of a moving target at this point. What's the latest you can tell us about when you are going to get back on the ice and how are you are, are going to address this and getting fans back in the War Memorial and all those things that Crunch fans are wondering about? There are still so many unknowns. You know, it, it, it varies from state to state, from arena to arena, and it's going to be dictated, as always, by the NHL. So will we come back before the NHL? That's so doubtful. You know, uh, will the NHL play in a bubble next year? I doubt it. Will they play in front of fans? You know, it doesn't look like it early on. I mean, we're, we're in a bad situation right now. I mean, the rates are going up in New York. The, the, the cases, which is unusual because New York State's done a great job. You know, so until we can get this under control, until we can have that safe and widespread, you know, really we don't know. I mean, they're not playing with fans at the Carrier Dome right now. Who knows when they play basketball, when that, when that basketball season is going to start and if fans are going to be allowed in. So we're preparing. Well, we're preparing under a number of scenarios. And I've said this and I repeat it. We're not going to come back in a situation where it's not safe for our fans, for our staff, and for our players. We can't. We can't. We can't. And, and we're going to have to be patient and do it the right way when we are ready. I'll close with this, Howard. Uh, it's, it's just been something that you and everybody in life has had to adjust to. But what, what have you learned the most about kind of moving the goalposts, if you will, and, and adjusting how you do business and how it's affected how you do business through all this? You know, we've been very uh, honest with everybody. Our, 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 uh, which unfortunately we've, we have furloughed some people. We've had to uh, with uh, our sponsors, our partners, like, like you guys at Galaxy as well. Uh, and our season ticket holders and all our fans trying to keep them as up to date as we can 
during the process because, you know, everybody wants to know, you know, when we're coming back. And, you know, the answer is nobody knows. Uh, it's, it's an unprecedented. I mean, you have NFL games where, you know, right now there's no fans in Buffalo, but there are fans in Jacksonville and there are fans in Miami. You know, you got college football. I just heard where uh, North Carolina State is going to allow 7, 7% of their stadium. Well, you've got probably out of that 7%, I think it's 4,000 people. And the road team gets tickets. The students gets tickets. They've got 30,000 season ticket holders. How do they come? It's, you know, the, the great part for us, if there is a good part, is that all of our constituents that I mentioned are, have been very accepting and very considerate about what this situation has put us all in. And uh, they've been very supportive. So I'm a believer that when the coast is clear, when it's safe, you're gonna see a tremendous rise in attendance in every live event, whether it's a sport or a concert, because people who may have not gone to live sporting events, the Generation Z that get their highlights on their phone or on their tablet, they want to be out there now. You know, they miss it. And so when that time is, I think you're going to see a great demand for those live events. When that's going to be, you know, it'd be foolish for anybody to make a prediction because you can't be right. You can't. Well, Howard, I look forward to the day I run to you in the hallways of the War Memorial yeah. once again at a hockey game. In the meantime, listen, congratulations to you and everybody with the crunch and Thank the you. big assist to Tampa Bay for the Stanley Cup. It's an amazing thing, and uh, it's great to hear your voice and see you via Zoom here buddy, today. And, and thanks for joining us once again on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. We'll see you soon. My pleasure, buddy. Thanks. Julian Wiggum is here. Good to Zoom with you, sir. How are you? <laughs> Yes, as always. Uh, yeah, I'm doing well. Doing well, man. It's been a long time. But I'm uh, always happy to do a show with you, man. But these Zoom meetings are weird. I got to tell you that yeah. much. Uh, yeah. I've been on a few of these things. And uh, between guys standing up and forgetting they don't have their pants on, <laughs> um, leaving their audio on when they didn't mean to, uh, yeah, these, these things are uh, a strange new dynamic to the whole meeting world. So I'm still getting used to it myself. Me too. Me too. Uh, number one, I assure you, I have pants on. So there you go. <laughs> number two, my cat might wander in here and, yep. and want to say hello. Maybe the dog will bark a couple of times. It's it's kind of the beauty of this whole thing, right? But uh, yeah, speaking of, of beauty, that was a, a much more beautiful performance for Syracuse football against Georgia Tech. And I think we had seen hints of it in the first two games, Julian, but it, that's just what the doctor ordered. When you get five turnovers, you got to cash them in. They did that. Tommy DeVito sacked once. That's a beautiful stat. They found a running game. And I am really impressed with a lot of elements of the defense, which we'll get to here shortly, and something you can certainly speak to. But what was your big takeaway from the Georgia Tech win? Uh, one, to see this offense and what it can do when they finally protect DeVito. I mean, it was the one sack, and then from there, we saw the deep ball uh, finally connect. Uh, we saw a run game that was, you know, you hadn't seen that in 
I don't know how long. Uh, so offensive line playing well between uh, run blocking and pass blocking, like all like just seeing all these different layers finally start to connect on the offensive side of the ball uh, was the biggest thing for me because it, it started to give a glimpse of what this season can be. Uh, you know, we know what the defense is and we, we've seen them, but I was worried about how, how far along this offense was going to come. And to see them finally connect both on the deep ball, having the pass, pass blocking, uh, DeVito playing well, uh, I think it was the young cat, Tucker, uh, finally coming along. I mean, and he seems like a talented guy. So uh, just a lot of aspects of this offense finally uh, piecing it together was really encouraging me. I mean, George Tech's not the greatest team in the world, but having that one moment to see, okay, this is what this offense can look like. Uh, I'm hoping that it continues for the rest of the year. I think in a way the opponent didn't matter. I think they had to play that way to know they could, yeah. because like we mentioned, mm-hmm. there were signs of it in the first two games. And you brought up Sean Tucker. What I was impressed with was his awareness, like that tackle, touchdown run he he knew his knee didn't hit the ground just keep running right just keep going to the Mm -hmm. house till somebody blows the whistle he runs with purpose and you brought it up uh, about the lack of a running game the last 100 yard rusher that Syracuse had was Eric Dungy in 2018 so I mean that tells you but it takes pressure off DeVito it takes pressure off that offensive line and it shows that hey look they can run the football here and Julian, to be fair, you know, when you lose Abdul Adams and Jarvie and Howard, your top two running backs, due to opt out, and they kind of knew it was coming, but you have to find that next man up. It's not just automatically plunge them in there. So I yeah. think we, we, we saw Syracuse find that player. He's got to, you know, step up and do it the rest of the year. But I think that was a big sigh of relief to know that at least they've got some weapons that can run the football. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, that's, and then as a young guy, too coming in there for talking, I was just happy for him because when you're a freshman, usually uh, when you have, when you have a, just a summer period, that's tough enough on you trying to figure everything out and understand the playbook, understand where you're supposed to be. And as a running back, the hardest thing is like pass blocking, right? Understanding that aspect of the game, but he's come in there and without a spring, without a summer, with the limited fall camp, come in there and, and shown that he has the ability to play and play at a high level. And that, that was the, the, the most exciting thing I've seen from him uh, just as a young guy coming. Cause that tells me, all right, he's got four years to develop and, and continue to grow as a player. So I, I think that would be a huge dynamic to Syracuse's offense because outside of Dungy, we really haven't seen them run the ball that well. I think Jerome Smith was the last thousand yard running back for Syracuse. And I think that Tucker has that kind of ability uh, with more and more touches. So uh, if he has the opportunity to keep running the ball and he can start to add that layer to Syracuse's offense, I think things will open up for uh, Coach Babers and and that that offensive side of the ball in, in ways that we haven't quite seen yet because they really haven't had a back who can take over a game and really help Syracuse's offense in that way. So Tucker had one of the big highlights of the Georgia Tech game. The other big highlight, of course, was that Trill Williams touchdown return. But it was a young gun. Jihad Carter, who gets the interception, and as somebody who has played that position, Julian, it was a, a yes, no, what are you doing, yes moment, right? Like, what were you thinking when Carter made that lateral to Trill Williams? Yeah. Because that's that's one of those things that either goes horribly wrong or you score a touchdown. There's no in-between on that. You know, you're not gonna lose, but when I saw him start to get held up on the tackle, my first instinct was, that's a pitch opportunity. Because oh, okay. you're, you're sitting – you're sitting there because you're see, like you kind of see it. Every defensive player dreams of this play. So the fact <laughs> that they actually pulled it off is the most exciting part. 
but there's a moment where you're when you're like held up on a tackle as an offensive player you're always told you're going to tuck the ball and go down as a defensive guy once you've already got the interception you've already got your plus for the day so you're good to go you're thinking okay i'm getting held up if you see somebody like especially behind you to throw if you have a crazy defensive coordinator like coach shape was big on this coach bullock was big on this keep the play going be safe but keep the play going. And the fact that Jahar was able to find a trail behind him, and, and that's just one, that's a level of trust in your defense. That's that's the ability to say, hey, you know that you can trust your guy. You know that he has the ability to take care of the football and then just to pitch it to him. And then on the other side of that, the fact that they were in the game enough, like headwise, just thinking, okay, I can make this play by trusting my guy and the fact that they were still able to pitch the ball and think about it, like that just tells me that they're, they're all aligned. They're very well aligned in this defense. They understand each other. Um, and that, that's all you can ask for in a defense. And that's how you get those kind of plays. This, this is one of the best defenses I think Syracuse has had in a really long time. Uh, the, the amount of trust that they have, the understanding of the defense, the way they're thinking, they're, they're playing at a really high frequency. And uh, that, that's encouraging to see. And the fact that they were able to make that play uh, was exciting because as a defensive guy, I'm telling you, like, they, we all <laughs> dream of this. But the fact that he pulled it off, because I'm telling you, I, I'm like, he could pitch this. They did it. And so you get, you get all excited. The voice gets high. So, uh, yeah, it, it was a great play to watch. And that, that told me this is going to be a great defense this And year. Trill's had two of them in the last four games. You go back to Wake yeah. Forest last year, he just kind of has a nose for that play and, and that kind of situation. And he and Jihad are, are, t- are roommates. And, you know, I think every corner in some way, you can speak to this, uh, has a little Deion Sanders in him. So when they get an opportunity to do that, it was exciting. But it's something you hit on that I wanted to follow up on, and that is the play of this defense. Mm -hmm. How has this happened, Julian? This is a new defense, new coordinator, limited practice time. They look like they've been playing this for five years, not five months. Okay, they have some good teams. Sam Howell's a good quarterback at North Carolina. Kenny Pickett's a veteran quarterback at Pittsburgh, good coaches in Pat Narduzzi that, ha- that have seen this. And they, they look like this is all the hat. How, how have they transitioned <laughs> so quickly? I've been amazed to watch this. Yeah, so at first I thought that this was just a matter of the defense being ahead of the offense. You know, I've used that term a lot. But it, it's, it's something that's true for teams during the spring, during the summer, and usually fall camp because offenses are still – figuring out like all their checks, all of their audibles, all the different mechanics that go into an offensive scheme. While the defense, you're typically just going out there and playing and reacting, right? Uh, but so I thought that all of that was factoring into the first few weeks of the season saying, oh, well, the defense, they're just playing alignment assignment football. Offenses haven't had the chance to really figure it out. So they're just taking advantage of the opportunities that they're getting. And that still may be true in, in some cases, but the fact that they've been so consistent in terms of taking the ball away, uh, taking advantage of every opportunity, uh, it, it's something that, to me, tells me that uh, this defense is for real. And uh, one, one thing that, that really stands out is they're just playing straight alignment and sound football. They're not really on the back end. You're thinking, oh, it's a 3-3-5, and they're playing all these different coverages when they're mixing it up, giving the quarterback one thing and then going to another. That's not really happening. They're just lining up and playing, and they just take advantage of what opportunities they're given. You know, tips and overthrows. DB say that. DB coaches say that all the time. And you know, the teams I played on, we there was a few that went our way, but more often than not, we didn't take advantage. This group takes advantage of every single opportunity you give them, and that's all you can ask for as a defensive coordinator. I don't know how they've managed to pick this thing up so quickly. Maybe the scheme is simple. Maybe it just clicks with the group of guys that they have. Uh, but one case or the other, 
They're doing a fantastic job of lining up and playing football, pressuring these quarterbacks and taking advantage of every opportunity they're getting. And, you know, they, I think they lead the, the entire country in interceptions right now. Uh, that That's just a matter of being ball hawks, just being it. That's film study. There's a lot that goes into this film study, understanding the defense and, uh, they, they've taken advantage of this three through five and every aspect that they can. Now, the fact that you mentioned it, they lead the country in that department and they had five turnovers against Georgia Tech and Andre Cisco didn't have one of them is yeah. amazing yeah. to think about. What a fluke to hear about <laughs> getting injured in pregame warmups. And I'm yeah. not a doctor. I just play one on Zoom here, Julian, but he was dragging his leg around out on the field. Now, the good news was he didn't have to go to the hospital. He kind of threw mm-hmm. his jersey on. They said, no, you're out today. But the way he was kind of dragging his leg, it seemed like like a bruise, a hamstring thing, maybe, because he. it's almost like you've got that leg that's filled with water, and you're just kind of dragging mm-hmm. it along with you. So yeah. I don't want to speculate what the injury is, but it's a good thing Syracuse has a bye week, because as talented as that secondary is, and yeah. as impressive as the defense is, they need Andre Sisco, particularly against yeah. some better teams. Now, can they beat Duke without Andre Sisco? Yeah, Duke stinks. Okay, we'll <laughs> get into that more next week. But I just wanted your thoughts on just that whole thing. Like, what a surreal day. So you get Andre Sisco at 1030 gets hurt. They're literally about to run on the field, and Dino gets a tap on the shoulder saying, hold up, we got to check some COVID results here. Literally, yeah. is about to go yeah. out there. I mean, that was not looking like it was going to be Syracuse's day, and – Unfortunately, with Cisco, uh, that that held to be firm. Yeah, yeah. So one, there those kind of injuries are 100% rare. Like we 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 all were kind of surprised to hear that Cisco was going to be out. And uh, I thought one of the more interesting parts of that whole scenario is going to your backup saying, "Hey, you're starting," right? Because typically, as a backup guy, you every everyone everyone always says, "Oh, I prepare like the starter." Right. And sure you do, because um, you all have the same meetings, you prepare at the same time. And maybe the starter is like one of those, you know, super A types that goes in there and gets the, the extra hours of film. Maybe you kind of sit in there and watch with him. But no one it's hard to uh, just all of a sudden flip that switch from going from all right, I'm going to be on the sidelines and to watch and make sure that uh, my guy's on the game and I'll come sub in if I need to versus knowing that your responsibility is first team reps this week. It's, it's a different switch. So one, I thought that was really a, a great adjustment. One, you know, the backup come in at secondary still to play the way they did without him. Uh, but two, for Cisco, like, I, I can't imagine what that feeling is like. I, I never had any major injuries or anything like that. And uh, I, I can't, um, I don't think I know anyone who kind of missed any time either just coming out. Like, it, it's such a rare occurrence. So if anything, it's, it's, it's gotta be defeating, like just upsetting because you want to get back into the game. You want to play and then a fluke accident like that happens. So uh, I was one proud of the defense and the way that they were able to uh, step up without him and continue to take away uh, or create takeaways for, for the defense and get the ball back to the offense. And that kind of told me that this defense is just the way that it's structured. It doesn't need to have, you know, those game breakers, but it's obviously good to have them. Uh, but on the other side of that, um, it, it was – I felt bad for Cisco because he's such a great player, and to see something like that happen, uh, I, I can't imagine what he was going through. It's, it's one of those fluke injuries that you hope he can come back from uh, pretty quickly. Julian, I'll close with this thought. I, I thought what we saw in that game – we'll see if, if their play continues. You always want to bottle that up for the next game. 
But when they reformatted the schedule and handed Syracuse what I thought was one of the toughest schedules in the country, frankly, in terms of road games, I felt this way about this team before the new schedule. I feel even more about it now that if they take care of business at home, that's going to set them up for a season where you at least be satisfied. Now it's weird because the NCAA came out and said, anybody can go to a bowl game. There's no <laughs> win minimum. So, anyone can go. Anyone can go. So you'll take it, right? No matter what. <laughs> Pinstripe bowl again with three wins. Hey, let's go. Let's but go. you want to see that win total climb. And by beating Georgia Tech, you get Duke next. You get Liberty after that. If they take care of business at home, and, and I can, I'm not going to expect them to play that way at home every game. But I, that was a big takeaway I had from that game. Like, take care of your business in the Dome. Sneak one off in the road somewhere. I think Pitt and North Carolina certainly showed they had opportunities to do that. And, yeah. and the pattern will hold and you'll be back on track. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they've got opportunities. And, and I'm kind of on the same page as uh, Coach Babers when it came to that those first few games are kind of like a preseason. Because I, I really – like football is a game where preparation is – everything you've got to have gone through those reps understand what you're supposed to be doing go through all the possible adjustments I can't tell you most of practice especially on Wednesdays and Thursdays is just what they could do that we haven't seen yet right so this football is all about preparation and and what you what you may get what you haven't seen and what they like to do that they haven't given you yet you're looking at film from you know, weeks and years ago about a football team. Uh, and the fact that they haven't had that chance to do that is it, that tells me that in these first few weeks, they're really stressing, uh, trying to put this, put this all together, uh, get guys to understand the concept that they're supposed to understand. And to, to, to see things kind of take off this week against Georgia Tech, those first two games, like, ah, man, they had some chances, but they couldn't take advantage. I, I let that go as a preseason thing. But to see them take advantage against Georgia Tech, they've got the bye week that, where they can now self-scout, see some of the things that they did well, which is be- good for great like young players especially. Like you got uh, the Tucker kid. You can see, oh, this is what it's supposed to feel like. You've got uh, young backups coming in. Oh, this is what it's supposed to feel like. Rather than getting criticized for things that they didn't do well, you can learn just as easily from some of the things that you did, did you know, much better at as well. So um, I think the bye week's going to help this team get, get over that hump of the preseason and then going forward, like I said, two cupcake games uh, with Duke and um, Liberty coming up. I think that this is a real opportunity for this football team to continue on the, on the positive trend uh, that they've created after this Georgia tech game. And uh, I think the offense is finally figuring their stride. Uh, The defense knows what they're doing. They can start adding things to continue to be a great defense. So uh, on both sides of the ball, like this one win and with plus a bye week, I think is one of the best things that could have happened to Syracuse this year. And uh, yeah, I I thought they were about a 500 team in that range coming in. And uh, if they can get to that point, take advantage of all their home games, you know, there's a swing here, there, and then boom, pinstripe bowl, which is never a bad thing. So that was, that was the only bowl game I think I actually ever liked anyway. So um, (laughs) yeah the only game I ever liked. So, yeah, I think that would be a, a great uh, season ending for Syracuse if they, they could go ahead and end it that way. Julian is a defensive back. Watch out for those uh, random wide receivers walking around. Hope you don't have a, a collision like that. And uh, we'll bring you back next week. We'll have a game to preview. Syracuse is off this weekend, so you enjoy your bye week. And we'll talk to you again next week here on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Thanks for listening to Episode 72 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Hit that subscribe button and you'll get new episodes of the Syracuse Sports Podcast waiting for you on demand when you want.
Thanks to our guests, Julian Wiggum and Howard Dolgan for joining us. We hope you can join us next time. My name is Brent Axe. Stay safe, everyone.